Welcome back, Scouts, to part two of our exploration of the Hiking Merit Badge on the Scout and God podcast. I'm your host, Caleb, and we have an exciting continuation of our journey ahead. If you're just joining us and missed part one, be sure to pause here and go back to listen to the previous episode. In part one, we covered the initial requirements and fundamental knowledge of the Hiking Merit Badge. Now we are ready to dive even deeper into the remaining requirements and uncover more hiking wisdom. Today, we'll turn to page 42 of the Merit Badge book and explore the fascinating topics that lie ahead, from practicing leave no trace principles to planning and leading a hike we'll navigate through the challenges and the skill essentials for becoming a proficient hiker so gather your gear tighten those shoelaces and get ready to hit the trail once again as we continue our journey through the hiking merit badge let us discover new horizons and expand our knowledge of this incredible outdoor pursuit are you ready scouts let's continue our hike through the pages of the hiking merit badge book and unlock the secrets of successful hiking together Pace. Hiking 10 or 20 miles in a day is a good challenge. You may need to maintain a steady pace, conserving your energy, and using your wisdom to cover the distance. However, a hike is much more than simply covering a certain number of miles or reaching a destination. Whether your route is short or long, remember to enjoy the sights and sounds around you. The journey is every bit as important as its completion. If you are hiking at an easy pace and stop often to look at plants, animals, and scenery, you may not need any rest stops. However, if you are pushing a steady long a five-minute break every half hour, hour or so is a good idea. It will cost you a chance to adjust your clothing, examine your feet for hot spots, take a drink, and have a snack. Make sure others in your groups are doing well and that the pace is appropriate for them. Crossing streams. As adventure takes you further into the backcountry, your intended routes may sometimes lead you to streams that have no bridges. Study a stream before you attempt to cross. How wide is it? How deep? Is the stream slippery or full of loose rocks? Wading can be difficult in rushing water, especially in cold water. Is there any chance you could be swept downstream into rocks or rapids if you lose your footing? Do not attempt to wade across a water that is knee-deep or higher. Find a safe place to cross or do not cross at all. If you decide to walk into a stream, keep the following in mind. Wear shoes for traction and protection from sharp stones. If you know that your hike will involve wading, bring along water slippers or old sneakers for that purpose. Otherwise, remove your socks and pull on your boots or hiking shoes over your bare feet. When you reach the far shore, dry your feet and put your dry socks back on. Use a hiking stick or trekking poles for balance as you ford a stream or from a human tripod with other hikers. Facing inward, form a circle and put your arms around each other. Shoulders, lean on one another as you cross. Minimizing risks. Minimizing risk is so much a part of outdoor adventures that we often hardly notice we are doing it. When you fill bottles with water from streams and lakes, you deal with the risk of parasites by treating the water to rid of its microorganisms. When you share the outdoors with wildlife, you protect them and yourself by hanging your food out of their reach, eliminating odors from sleeping areas, and keeping campsites spotless. A truly effective approach to reducing risk comes from the willingness of every group member to take an active role in maximizing personal safety and the safety of others. The more responsibility each person takes for his or own health and safety, the more everyone can contribute to a successful trek to help minimize the risk. Stay in good shape so that you are ready for the physical demands of a trek. Know where you are going and what to expect. Adjust clothing layers to match changing weather conditions. Drink plenty of water. Take care of your gear. A critical aspect of managing risk is letting others know when you are having difficulties or 
are aware of a concern that might affect you or the group. Even if you feel hesitant to speak up, voicing concern about questionable route decisions or developing a hotspot, for example, can bring important matters to the group's attention. Dealing with health issues and injuries. Getting injured while you are out on the trail is one of the biggest risks for which you need to be prepared. Fortunately, many trail injuries, scrapes, bruises, blisters, and sunburn usually are not very troublesome. Soap, water, bandages, and any other medical items in your first aid kit will take care of the majority of medical problems you may encounter. Personal first aid kit. Carrying a personal first aid kit can help you minimize any injuries that occur on a hike. Everything listed below can fit into a self-sealing plastic bag and be placed in your dry day pack. Six adhesive bandages. Two three by three inch sterilized gauze pads. One small roll of adhesive tape. One three by six inch piece of moleskin. Small bar of soap. Small tube of antiseptic. Pair of non-latex gloves. Mouth barrier device for rescue breathing. Pencil and paper for documenting systems and treatments. However, the dangers of more serious injury is magnified by your distance from emergency responses. Miles up a trail, you may rely on your own resources and those of your companions. Know how to prevent, recognize, and treat the health hazards that may arise during your backpacking trip. The brief discussion that follows are intended only to alert you in dangers. Consult a first aid manual for complete information on other good sources of hiking first aid information or the first aid, backpacking, and wilderness survival merit badge pamphlets, the Boy Scout handbook, and the field book. Blisters. For hikers, blisters on the feet are the most common injury and they can often cause a most trouble. A hot spot on your foot signals the beginning of a blister. Stop immediately and protect the tendered area by covering the hot spot with a piece of moleskin or mole foam slightly larger than the hot spot. Use several layers if necessary. Blisters are best left unbroken. If a blister does break, Treat the broken blister as you would a minor cut or abrasion. Many find a product called Second Skin very helpful in treating blisters. To prevent blisters, wear boots that fit properly and are broken in well. Wear a pair of thin synthetic socks under rigor hiking socks for extra protection. Keep your feet clean and dry and change your socks frequently. Toughen your feet with short hikes before embarking on an extended trek. Sprains and strains. If you suffer a sprained ankle while hiking and you need to keep walking, it is best to leave your boot on to support the injury. If the boot is removed, the injury could swell so much that you will not be able to put the boot back on. Reinforce the ankle by wrapping it boot and all, with a triangular badge. Altitude sickness. If you live near an ocean, your home is probably not much above sea level. Scouts in the Perry States may accustomed to elevations of just 1,000 or 2,000 feet. Going into a place that is much higher may leave you short of breath because as you go up in elevation, the atmosphere around you becomes thinner uh, thinner and contains less oxygen. Within a few days, your body will accumulate itself by producing extra red blood cells to carry more oxygen to your tissues and organs, and you should feel fine. Hikers descending even higher uh, without allowing time for their bodies to adjust to the new elevations, perhaps climbing Philmont's 12,000-foot Baldy Mountain soon after arriving at the ranch, can develop headaches and may suffer from nausea. They may develop AMS or acute motion sickness. Symptoms may include 
any or all of the following. Headache, nausea, usual tiredness, and loss of motivation. Taking steps to prevent altitude sickness is far better than suffering from it during a hike. The following suggestion can make a big difference on how well you are able to function during journeys to high elevations. Drink plenty of fluids. As a rule of thumb, take in enough water so that your urine remains clear rather than dark yellow. Ascend gradually. Spending a few days at 5,000 to 7,000 feet, and then a few more at 8,000 and 10,000 feet, will permit your body to acclimate better before you go higher. These symptoms can also be warning signs of hypothermia, as far more common first aid emergency among hikers. Address hypothermia first by making sure that the person is warm, is wearing dry clothing, and is sheltered from the wind, and chilly or wet weather, and has enough to eat and drink. If the person does not rapidly improve, he or she is at the elevation above 800 feet. Treat for altitude sickness as well. Treating altitude sickness can be summed up in three words. Descend, descend, descend. Going down even a few thousand feet in elevation will almost always relieve the symptoms. Rest, fluid, and food may also help. If symptoms persist or worsen, get the person to a doctor immediately. Hypothermia. When a person's body is losing more heat than it can generate, hypothermia sets in. Simple resources to cold is seldom the only cause. Exposure to wind and rain and hunger, exhaustion, and dehydration are common contributing factors. A hypothermia victim might feel cold, numb, fatigued, irritable, and increasingly clumsy. Uncontrollable shivering, slurred speech, poor judgment, and loss of consciousness may also occur. Treat a victim of hypothermia by preventing a person from getting colder. If necessary, use any or all of the following methods to help warm the body to its normal temperature. Move the person into a tent or other shelter and get him into dry, warm clothes. Zip the person into a dry sleeping bag or wrap him in a blanket or anything handy that will warm him. Cover the head with a warm hat or sleeping bag hood. If the person is able to drink, offer small amounts of the warm liquid, cocoa syrup, soup, fruit juice, water, no caffeine or alcohol. Provide water bottles with warm fluid to hold in armpit and groin areas. To help hypothermia, carry separate clothing on in case you get wet or a temperature drop. Be alert for early symptoms of hypothermia in yourself and others. Take actions that keep full-blown hypothermia from developing. Frostbite a frostbite victim may complain that his ears, nose, fingers, or feet feel painful and they are numb, but sometimes he will not notice any such sensation. You may see grayish-white pinches on the skin, called frostnip, the first stage of frostbite. Only frostnip can be treated out on the trail. If you suspect that frostbite is deep, extending below the skin level, remove any wet clothing and wrap the injured area in a dry blanket. Do not rub the injury. Get the victim under the care of a doctor. To treat frostnip, move the victim into a shelter, then warm the injured area. If an ear or cheek is affected, warm the injury with the palm of, your, of a bare hand. Slip a frostnip hand under your clothing and tuck it behind an armpit. Treat frostbitten toes by putting the victim's bare feet against the warmer skin of your belly. Help prevent frostbite by wearing layers of clothing, keeping dry, and staying hydrated. Heat exhaustion. Heat and dehydration can lead to heat exhaustion. Symptoms can include pale, clammy skin, nausea, and a headache, dizziness, and fainting. 
Muscle cramps and weakness and lack of energy. If a member of your group is suffering from heat exhaustion, get the person in the shade and encourage him to drink small amounts of fluids. Cool water is the best. Apply cold, wet clothes to his skin and find him to hasten the cooling process. Activities can resume when the person feels better, although it can take a day or, or full, full recovery. Heat stroke. When a person's core temperature rises to life-threatening levels, generally above 105 degrees, heat choke occurs. Dehydration and overexertion in hot environments can be factors. Symptoms include hot, sweaty, red skin, confusion, disorientation, and rapid pulse. Heat stroke is a life-threatening. Summon medical help immediately. To treat heat stroke, victim while awaiting help, Work to the lower person's temperature quickly. Move him into a shady location and loosen tight clothing. Fan the person and apply wet towels. If you have ice packs, write them into a thin barrier, such as a thin towel, and place them under the armpit and against the neck and groin. If the person is able to drink, offer small amounts of cool water. Monitor the victim closely to guard against a relapse. Sunburn. A sunburn is common but potentially a serious result of an overexposure to the sun. Long-term exposure can result in an increased risk of skin cancer. Treat sunburn by getting the person under shade. If no shade is available, have him wear a brimmed hat, pants, and a long sleeve shirt for protection from the sun. Treat painful sunburn by applying cool, wet cloths. Lightning safety. Open water mountaintops, the crests of ridges, the bases of tall or solitary trees, and large meadows can be hazardous places during lightning storms. Plan to be off peaks and other exposed locations before afternoon when thunderstorms are more prevalent. If you are caught in a dangerous area, quickly move to shore or descend to a lower elevation, ideally away from the direction of the approaching storm. A dense forest located in a depression offers the greatest protection. Stay clear of shallow caves and overhanging cliffs. Ground currents might cross them. Avoid bodies of water and metal fences too, and anything else that might conduct electricity. In tents, stay away from metal tent poles. If a lightning storm catches your group in the open, spread out so that people are at least 100 feet from one another. Further minimize your risk by crouching low with only the soles of your shoes touching the ground. You can use your sleeping pad for insulation by folding it and crouching upon it. Insect Stings to treat bee stings, scrape away the stinger with the edge of a knife blade, but don't squeeze the sac attached to the stinger. That might force more venom into the skin. Applying an ice pack to the area can reduce pain and swelling caused by insect stings. Tick Bites Ticks are small, blooded-sucking creatures that bury their heads in the skin. Protect yourself in tick-infested woodlands and fields. Wear long pants and a long-sleeved t-shirt. Button your collar and tuck in your pant legs into your boots or socks. Inspect yourself daily. Inspect the hairy parts of your body. Immediately remove any ticks you find. If a tick has attached itself, remove it immediately. Grasp it with tweezers close to the skin and gently pull on it until it comes loose. Do not squeeze, twist, or jerk the tick, as this may leave its mouth parts buried in the skin. Wash the wound with soap and water and apply an antiseptic. After handling a tick, thoroughly wash your hands. Snake Bites There are two types of venomous snakes in the United States. Pit vipers, rattlesnakes, copperheads, and cottonmouths have triangle heads with pit marks on either side of the head. Coral snakes have black snouts and bands of red and yellow separated by bands of black. 
Coral snakes inject powerful venom that works on the victim's nervous system. Pit viper venom affects the circulatory system. The bite of a non-venomous snake causes only minor puncture wounds. If a crew member has been bitten by a snake that you are certain is non-venomous, clean the wound with soap and water, then treat with an antiseptic. The bite of a venomous snake may cause sharp burning pain. If you are not certain whether a snake is venomous, assume that it is venomous. Get the victim under medical care as soon as possible so that the physicians can neutralize the venom. The venom might not affect the victim for an hour or more. Within this time, the closer to medical attention you can get the victim, the better. Safety around dogs. It is not usual to come upon dogs as you will walk through cities, towns, and near farms. You may meet them on trails too. Since you are stronger... To them, they might snarl and bark at you. Avoid eye contact. Talk to the dogs you encounter in a calm, quiet voice and give them plenty of room as you pass. Do not threaten them, but if you do have a hiking stick or trekking poles, keep them between you and the animal. Cross to the far side of the road or trail if you can, or avoid the dog's territory by taking another route. Stay around wild animals. Seeing deer, raccoons, snunks, squirrels, and other animals that may their homes in the outdoors as a special part of any hike. If wild animals must alter their normal habits, you are too close. They are not likely to become aggressive unless they feel threatened. Enjoy watching animals, but keep your distance. Do not disturb nests or burrows. And that concludes part two of our journey through the Hiking Merit Badge on this Scouting Guide podcast. We've covered a lot of ground today, exploring the remaining requirements and skills necessary to earn this badge. But remember, Scouts, if you haven't listened to part one yet, make sure to go back and catch up on the previous episode. It is essential to have a solid foundation before diving into the advanced aspects of the Hiking Merit Badge. We hope you've gained valuable insights and inspiration to take your hiking skills to new heights. Keep pushing yourself, embracing the spirit of adventure, and practicing the principles we have discussed in this episode. Thank you for joining us on this continuation of our hiking journey. Be sure to stay tuned for a future episode of the Scouting Guide podcast, where we explore more exciting merit badges and embark on thrilling adventures. This has been the Scouting Guide podcast, guiding scouts towards excellence. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. Until next time, happy hiking, scouts!